It's time for Banker with a Beer, presented by Northwestern Bank. Hey, don't forget to go back, listen to some of the great episodes we've had in recent weeks, and frankly, in recent months as well. Go back several months and find some episodes that you may have missed, and that's always a lot of fun because you can go back in time a little bit and see if some predictions or some thoughts came to be or some hints that some people dropped that ended up being announced afterwards. So make sure you're going and checking out all of the episodes with Banker with a Beer. I'm Scott. We got Jerry as always. Jerry, how's it going? It's a great day-to-day, Scott. A couple weeks here before uh, the Christmas holiday. Uh, And I'm looking outside right now. I mean, not that I want to, but if if I needed to cut my lawn, I still think I could. Now, as I mentioned, people go back and listen. I'd love to have somebody come back and listen to this episode a month or two from now when we're in our third straight week of minus 10 degrees as a high, and they're thinking back to when people were considering uh, grilling outside in mid-December. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and I know there are a lot of folks who are really counting on a white Christmas, and I, you know, I put myself in that category as well, but I'll be honest, uh, if it can delay for a few more days, I'm not going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, we've got something intriguing today. This is an educational podcast, and we are going to be educated on something that I think a lot of people probably don't know a lot about. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to have not necessarily an alcoholic beverage, a spicy beverage today. Yeah, we are are going to have a great afternoon of two items. First of all, we've got a great guest. Doug Darrow is the owner of Ally Dyes in Chippewa Falls, and we are going to learn about the dye industry. My guess is that uh, most of our listeners have really no idea what a dye is. This isn't like the color that you use to uh, dye a piece of cloth. It's something totally different. Uh, So we'll be uh, hopefully edifying all of you in a bit. Uh, And we'll be doing that with a great beverage. So uh, we're going to have a ginger beer, a Bundaberg ginger beer. This is from uh, Australia. And so I will pour the beverage, Scott, and you can bring Doug on board. All right, well, while Jerry does that, uh, Doug, welcome on into the podcast. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? You're a lifelong resident of the area. If not, what brought you in? All of that. Tell us the, the story here. First of all, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And uh, I am uh, a local farm kid, born and raised in Chippewa Falls. Um, I've had the great honor of being able to work in this industry, to travel all over the world, and I never had to leave the Chippewa Valley. Um, I, uh, being a farm kid, I always thought I had somewhat of an inquiring mind. I wanted to know how things work, worked, and I think that maybe helped me uh, in the industry and helped me learn about some of our products and the industry and uh, what we do. Though that you know, yes, you own this business, but uh, you also you say farm kid, but you're still a farmer. So uh, it's it's it, it, you have this side job which uh, is like uh, owning and harvesting. I'm not, I'm not sure how many hundreds of acres you have there, but uh, it's not like a small operation. It's not like a garden in your backyard. Well, it uh, <clears throat> keeps us uh, on the straight and narrow on the weekends, and uh, I've been fortunate to uh, have the family farm. It's a century farm. And my wife and I have owned it for uh, almost half of that time. 
and we raise corn and soybeans out on the prairie in Chippewa and uh, there's about 1200 acres that we farm and uh, cash crop yeah in your spare time in my spare time yes. yeah yeah so well gentlemen let's uh clink him and drink all right beverage poured kind of looks Cheers. like a lemonade from a distance but it's not a lemonade that's tasty there we go nice and spicy and on this uh, <coughs> mild december day oh it's perfect the the time for the oatmeal stouts will come at some point but today with it being warm outside this ginger beer is perfect so doug let's start off and before we start can we open our peanuts? Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, Doug, so we're even being fed today. Ah. I mean, a banker with a beer has been, you know, we, we've had a lot of things, a lot of different beverages, but I think this is only the second time that someone's actually brought food into us, Scott. Oh, outstanding. And as uh, he opens up this uh, this can of uh, of salted peanuts, and Jerry, you might have to help him there. You there. might. <laughs> How, how many guys does it take here to open up a can of? Uh, it's got a. Wow. It's got a, a, a little top to it here. It that, does. Uh, this, I'm getting it, but this is. Do we have there to? we go. Got it. Oh man. You, know, right. I, you know, I did go to a private college. I could. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, while you open up the the, the peanuts here, and we'll uh, dive into that in a moment. Yeah, we 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 learned a little bit about the the farming background for Doug, but what led into the start of Ally Dies? Well, back uh, about the time I was graduating high school, my father, who was a farmer, said, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be a farmer. You can't make a living do being a farmer. You need to get some kind of an education. And uh, why don't you go off and be an engineer? And uh, that all sounded good. I went to uh, Eau Claire, uh, CVTC. I was interested, as I said, in how things worked and how to design things and uh, started working at then Johnson Plastics Machinery in Chippewa Falls, who was certainly one of the first to commercialize making dyes and extrusion equipment and uh, liked it. The industry was good to me and, and I never left. The one this might this is a, a, a kind of a, a banker's vision of what a die is, and bankers aren't as you know the sharpest tools in the shed. But when I first time I saw a die, what it reminded me is when I was a kid, and I had Play-Doh, and you had that one contraption where you'd stuff the the, the dough in the top, and then you 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 crank down on it, and then you'd have this little line in front of it, and, and if you squeeze down, you can make it come out like a star, or come out like a moon shape, or come out like a like a uh, a pipe. Well, the thing in front of it is basically a die, and so you take this. So what a die is is you take some material, usually some kind of a an plastic, and you. Uh, run it through, you, you, you heat it up and you extrude it, and then you, you uh, take the, that plastic and you spread it out at a different thinness. And it can be anything as thin as um, like uh, cellophane or, you know, like uh, um, the plastic that you use to wrap a food paper. It could be like vinyl siding. Uh, but that thing in front, 
that is basically the die. So I, I know, Doug, you've you, you got to be cringing. At, and I know it's a lot more than that because it's how it's the heat and the manipulation and it's very caustic and what you've done. But from a, I'll say, a 50,000 view level, that's how I think of a die. Well, you're pretty much spot on, Jerry. And a die is the dies that we build are extrusion dies and they are forming tools that go on the end of an extruder and as you said they can make very very thin film that's used for meat packaging or uh, some kind of protective film layer they can be somewhere in between at uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 thousandths thick, up to an eighth of an inch thick. And we make dies today that make products that are one inch and even two inches thick of solid and foamed plastic that are used in industrial type applications. Dies can be as narrow as a half an inch wide and we have the capabilities to make dies that are 160 inches wide. We're building two dies right now that are on a milling machine uh, at our plant in Chippewa that are 160 inches wide. They will end up shipping to India and these dies will be used to extrusion coat a relatively thin layer of polyethylene over the blue tarps that you might buy at Farm and Fleet that you would put over your boat if you stored it in the, your backyard during the winter time. And that film uh, that goes over seals it and makes it waterproof. I mean, from an uh, industry that not a whole lot of people know about, I just find it amazing how what a die does touches everyone's life probably every day when you think of a food packaging you think of like i said vinyl siding uh most items today you know like a veneer or whatever they all have a plastic coating or plastic covering on for protection for um spill proof whatever uh i mean it's it's a industry that has applications throughout our economy jerry it's been estimated and it's a stat that is almost hard for me to believe, but if you stop and think about it, we heard that no one on earth is ever more than six feet away from something made out of plastic. And you, you hear that and you say, well, that can't be true. But if you stop and look around you, if you look at the your cell phone, if you look at your smartphone, if you look at the chairs in, in, in this office. We're the not, dashboard of your car, everything exactly else. Exactly right. Uh, the inside of your refrigerator. You know, we build dies that make the sheet that is then formed on uh, into the inside of your refrigerator. You know, I I love your your glasses here. These are the banquet with the beer glasses that we're all enjoying right now. <coughs> We could have had uh, a beer in a red Solo cup. And this is, this is the trivia that I love. So the next time you're sitting around the campfire 
having that beer and before you throw that red solo cup in the fire um, you can ask your friends how many layers are in that red solo cup the easy answer might be two the outside is red and the inside is white the truth is there are actually four layers in a red solo cup why it's polystyrene which is dull and not very shiny yet the outside of a red solo cup is very shiny so they put an extremely thin layer of a shiny glossy material on the outside then the pigment red or green if it's Christmas time or wherever you get your decorative cups for the for the Christmas season 47 percent of that red solo cup is in-house recycling so that gets buried in the middle and the inside of that cup is always white so it shows that it's sterile we have tooling at the shop that makes red solo cups at 6,000 pounds an hour and that is a lot of red solo cups being made every hour well amazing based off of of, of that there's a said something that's uh, right there how many employees do you guys currently have in Chippewa Falls we have uh, 50 plus 55 I guess all right so yeah this this is a rather rather big impact on the local economy this is not uh, though, though still one of those things where it's still a, a small business at the same time this is not some huge conglomeration of uh, 15,000 workers so there very much is a family feel to that still I I think that's important and yeah we've got 55 employees uh, a couple we have another location that we bought that has uh, some employees and they complement uh, another machine shop but that complements and feeds uh, parts to the dye business but um, right or wrong I I don't think that I will see the business be um, 500 employees I want to know every employee on the shop floor. I think that's important. And we have intellectual property. We have patents hanging on the wall. We have a brand new milling machine that arrived today. The crane is unloading it as we speak. Part of it is in the building and part of it is out in the parking lot. We hope we get it in before dark tonight. Um, but we're only as good as our employees and we're only as good as the last die that goes out the door and I want every one of our employees to be very very proud of the products that we turn out and we compete in a global market and I'm very proud and our people are our most valuable asset. Doug how did, I know you were working with Johnson's in, in Chippewa Falls, how did the Chippewa Valley become such a center of dye manufacturers? Obviously, you're here, EDI's here, Clorin's here. 
uh, I don't think there's probably a similar setup anywhere in the country. Um, is it is it all trace your roots back to Johnson's or what? What? How did that go? Uh, yeah, I would say it does go back to Johnson's. Um, there was a survey, Jerry, that was done 20, maybe even longer ago, and it was estimated that the dye business at that time was maybe 2,000 dyes as we build them a year were, were made and went into the industry. That's being sold to OEMs, the extruder manufacturers, as well as the end user. If you're a refrigerator manufacturer and you need a new line, that goes with a die. If you're making solo cups, it goes with a die. If you're making pickup bed liners, that goes with a die. It's an integral part of every extrusion line. So the estimate at that time was maybe a couple thousand dies a year. And it was estimated that at that time that 80 to 90% of those dies were made in a 10-mile radius of where we're sitting right now hmm. by a couple manufacturers. You mentioned them, Extrusion Dyes, now Nordson, uh, Claren, who has an operation in Texas, but they also have an operation in Eau Claire. And it was... I suppose somewhat incestuous where they spun off and these dye companies started. Allied Dyes was started by six guys. The story is they chipped in $2,000 and lived happily ever after. And that's pretty much the way the story went. I was fortunate enough to be asked to join them a little over 15 years ago at that time, there were three partners we bought in, subsequently have bought those other partners out. Um, but it is still very, very uh, integral to the dye business. And there's a certain, I think, knowledge with the mill operators and the grinder operators and the polishers and the people that design dyes that's somewhat unique to this area. Well, it, but and I think what most folks don't realize, <coughs> sure they don't, it's, it's kind of an industry that kind of goes under the radar to begin with. But then the international aspect of this, like you said, you're having this large die going to India. I mean, you send things throughout the country, Canada, Europe, Southeast Asia, India. You know, that's a lot of, and, and you have some very good paying jobs that are, you know, we think about, you know, exports you know throughout the world we export these dyes and these are some very high-end manufacturing that brings incredible value back to the Chippewa Valley it does for sure yeah um, and it and it trickles down you know most of the dyes today are chrome plated which is an industrial hard chrome plating after it's polished it facilitates cleaning and extends the life uh, of a dye if there is uh, a corrosiveness uh, involved uh, to the polymer that goes through that dye. So there's a huge chrome plating facility in Chippewa Falls that serves the dye manufacturers in this area. So 
so basically it becomes kind of the symbiotic relationship because without a chrome plater you really can't do dyes and he's here because you're here and it, it definitely is. Uh, there are chrome platers in Minneapolis, and there are platers in Kansas City, and there's platers in Houston. But economically uh, and time-wise, you couldn't ship a die from here to Kansas City and then come back and then do the final finishing on it and expect that to be very economically viable. So you said you know, that most of those dyes in the world are manufactured somewhere here in the Chippewa Valley, but there are operations, I understand, in Europe and I believe in China now. Are they copycats for what you're trying to do, or is there some innovation going on in those parts of the world that uh, you're keeping an eye on? Well, we are, uh, and there certainly is competition worldwide today. Um, you mentioned uh, China. There are huge dye manufacturers in China. And um, very, very difficult to compete because of the, the labor difference uh, with a Chinese dye. We have a customer that contacted us today. They have a dye running in Brazil. The dye was made in China and they were having a lot of problems and issues with this dye. The technology on that dye, honestly, was, is 30-year-old technology. For the application, the dye is functional, but for the application, it's not optimal. So their consultant and the customer said, hey, Allied, can you do something with this dye, or what do you think is wrong with our dye? We can run this product, but we can't run that product. So we looked at some pictures, and it didn't take long to say, yeah, I can see why you can run a relatively thin product with this dye, but a thick product, which they were trying to do, and the polymer they were trying to process, they couldn't they are in need of a new die that's designed for what they need. My point of that is that the Chinese sold them hardware. I'm sure it was relatively inexpensive, but it really didn't fit that application. There are good die manufacturers, some, in Europe, um, we don't see a great deal of competition in North America from the European dyes. They're very, very expensive, and they are quite long lead times. Clearly, there are strengths to being located in this area, and I think that includes the fact there's all the auxiliary businesses and everybody feeding off each other. But what challenges do you face being a company that is a worldwide company, but still based in the Chippewa Valley? Well, uh, we've had all the problems that everybody's had. And uh, supply chain issues, um, inflation, uh, price of steel is up, 
Uh, our dies are, for the most part, are heated electrically with cartridge heaters. Uh, we went through a year and a half of fairly long lead time cartridge heaters. Um, long delays. So you have to have a good purchasing department, hopefully a good engineering department that tries to have some level of standardization that says, okay, we're going to look forward. We're projecting that we'll sell this many dies. It needs this many heaters. And if it's a 12 or a 14 week lead time on a heater, let's get them on order. So that doesn't become the delay at the end of the process that we can't ship that die in a timely manner. Some of the innovations that have happened, I mean, these, just to, to I'll kind of try to give you a visual of what these are like. These are our, our, large and sometimes massive pieces of steel that are then machined down so they look to me kind of like this big like a big fan I guess is a way to describe it and there are two sides there's a top and there's a bottom and then along the top or either side there are like Doug said these heaters are basically every foot or so depending on the die along it and then all these uh, they can allow to adjust the temperature of the material as it goes through and then there's also the spacing and so I, at one time, you know, uh, back, back in the day, you just manually adjust these. So you'd get a hold of a, you know, a big tool. You basically just crank the thing down or up if, if it's not working. Now most of it's done by computer where uh, some of these dives are put on these extrusion machines and they'll be an operation for months on end. You know, kind of a continuous stream of, I, I would think like vinyl siding or uh, something like that where you're having just tons of it come out or... Um, you know, like saran, saran wrap or something like that, where these would just go on forever and ever. And then someone's monitoring this all the time, and they've created what was essentially a, I won't, a, a, just a, a piece of metal, to now it's, it's, it's a smart piece of equipment that it attaches things to a computer. They can see in real time the temperature, you know, wh how this thing spreads out, the temperature of, of it along the way, and they can make minute uh adjustments to the level of this material in I don't know the microns I mean it, it, it's amazing what what the control you can have over these things it is you're right Jerry it is microns and um, uh, the die being the forming tool that is making a web for the most part people want that web regardless of how wide it is if it's a 10-inch die or a 110-inch die, they want that web to be uniform all the way across that width. These webs are either oriented. Some film is oriented to enhance the properties, which makes it stronger. Um, stretch wrap, for example. Uh, or some of the thicker products might be thermal-formed the red solo cup. It's made as a flat sheet and then it's thermal formed. Vinyl siding starts out about one millimeter in thickness and it gets formed and embossed with the wood grain on it uh, to make the lap siding that goes on the outside of your house. The inside of your refrigerator starts out as a flat sheet approximately a quarter of an inch thick. The chest part that gets the deep draw uh, then gets formed into that liner that goes on the inside of your refrigerator. 
So the goal of most extruders is to make it as flat and as uniform as possible. There are some exceptions. But you're referring to what we call a flexible lip die, which is a manual adjustment, and we're able to adjust the top half of the die in relationship to the bottom half of the die if we need to make it thicker or thinner. And an operator would have a, 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 a wrench. He would make that adjustment. He might have a gauge that is telling him, I'm thick, I'm thin, I'm thick, I'm thin, I'm thick, I'm thin. He makes that adjustment. On the high-speed continuous lines, or if you're coating on paper that might run at 3,000 feet a minute, and you're putting down a very, very thin layer, those dies today are almost exclusively automatic dies. And they'll run, as you said, millions of pounds before that die would ever be shut down. And it's a 24-7 operation. By definition, extrusion is continuous. You want it to be continuous. It costs money to stop, start, stop, start that line. So you want it to run. You continually make adjustments to that cross-web profile, and you continually monitor it. And then if you're making rolls that are being converted by somebody else into some kind of flexible food packaging, you're able to say, this was my spec on every roll that I sent you. So the QC part comes into it. Well, we're actually, believe it or not, we're starting to run out of time here. But I, I, I got to get another question here that I, I got to <laughs> talk about. But, you know, I, I've seen, you know, in my 30 years in banking, I've seen the, the change from, you know, as you started adding the heaters and the improvements and, you like you mentioned, the patents you have. How do you see the dye industry evolving over the coming decade? I think it's going to continue to evolve. Um, you know, plastics has a bad name for the most part. Um, I, I say I'm not sure that there's a plastics problem, but more maybe a people problem. When we're throwing our garbage out in the ocean and, and, uh, or alongside the road. Um, it is circul a, 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 certainly a circular economy today. Our industry and what I've seen in working with our OEMs, we are doing far more to recycle plastics and get it back uh, into the mainstream. I don't think it's going to go away, and I think uh, Plastics are going to continue to evolve, and we're going to have more and better uh, performing plastics uh, used in all kinds of applications. It wasn't that many years ago that the Ford Mustang had some of the first plastic in it, and uh, it was, I don't know, 20 pounds, and for a long time the average car had 200 pounds, and I think the estimate today it's somewhere up around 800 pounds of plastic in your modern car. Wow. So it looks like it's going to keep evolving as we move forward. I think it will. 
Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, so <laughs> that was great. Well, thanks for listening to Scott and me chat over a beverage today with Doug. If you like what you've heard, please give Banker with a Beer a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank website, or wherever you listen to your podcast from. Northwestern Bank is the sponsor of, of Bank with a Beer, where we're building strong communities where people matter. 